James, that's Katie, and of course, that makes this episode 43 of the Circles and Squares PlayStation Podcast. Uh, Kate, I'm running on five hours of sleep, and I've been up for like 45 minutes, and I'm hella ready to talk about some games. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. I think I had a little more sleep than you did, um, but I see you got a nice, beautiful coffee in your hand. Must have gotten, uh, yeah, Goto's there for you. Must have really gotten that, actually, that cup and that coffee from someone who uh, is a great gift giver. <laughs> So good, in fact, mm. that she may have gotten herself the same gift uh, <laughs> at the same time. I did. I don't think that's the first happened time to us multiple that. times. Actually, no. <laughs> we'll tell it. We'll tell that story on the show at some point. But yeah. Anyway, how are you? How, how's it going? Um, I'm great. I got a little extra sleep. I've I've been very productive in the world of gaming recently. I've got two exciting updates for you, uh, which we'll get into shortly. Um, but I think you had some housekeeping before then. We have some big news, folks. We got some some uh, big stuff going on. If you remember, a few months ago, back on the show, we did a giveaway for a game named Rocket Arena, and uh, we got a we got a lot of response. It was great to see like people engaging with the the stuff. We got to give away some copies of a game, and uh, I'm here to tell you, folks, that we're here today to give away some more copies of another game uh, known as Battlefield 2042 Ultimate Edition. Uh, we have two codes to give away for the it's the PS4 PS5 um, Ultimate Edition. Comes with the Seasons Pass, and we're giving away two codes for the game. So we've got two ways for you to enter, which I'll explain to you now. It'll be all listed down below as well if you uh, want to double check. But uh, what we're saying is, so if you want to enter for the contest, uh, you've got until Wednesday. This episode is out on, on uh, Monday the 15th, right? 15th of November? Mm -hmm. So we have until Wednesday the 17th at noon PST. Uh, when the contest will close, we'll pick two winners at random, and you can get two entries by doing the following things. The first thing you can do, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, um, and then when you do that, just email a screenshot of your review to circlesandsquarespod at gmail.com. Uh, you'll be entered. That's the first way. Way number two um, is that you can enter by subscribing to our YouTube channel and leaving a comment on this video about your favorite video game sequel, which is what we're going to be talking about later in the show. Um, so you can do both of those things. You can get two entries into the contest. Um, you can only win one copy, unfortunately, of the game. So if we happen to pull your name twice, we'll just pass to the next person. But you, you know what I mean. You can get two entries uh, by doing these things. And uh, good luck to everyone that enters. We hope that you, uh, someone, whoever gets it, gets a lot of joy from playing the game anyway. I'm excited. I got some codes for myself as well. So I'm going to be <laughs> jumping in with a couple friends. And I haven't really read too much about Battlefield, but I know uh, it had some cool stuff going on with all those weather and like the big team battles and stuff. So it should be cool to check it out. And uh, I'm pretty excited. So, uh, yeah, anyway, good luck to everyone who enters, and uh, we will let you know the winners on Wednesday if you're so lucky. Um, but, Kate, we've got a busy show today as well, so let's get into the show. Of course, we're starting off with the games we've been playing the last couple of weeks. Um, and like I mentioned before, our second segment today, we'll be talking about video game sequels and what makes a good sequel, some of our favorites, um, and getting into some responses from Twitter also from our community. So uh, look forward to that later in the show. Um, but, Kate, you said you had a couple updates on games you've been playing, so why don't you kick it off here? Yes, I've been very productive and very successful. Um, so I think I actually alluded to it in our last episode, uh, which would have come out um, the previous Monday on our new show. I have a I have officially credit rolled on Returnal now, uh, which is very Congratulations. very exciting. Thank you. Um, and oh man, like I just gotta say, this game is is still my game of the year. I know I've been saying I've been shit talking that for weeks, but that has not changed. If anything. Beating the game has just given me a higher opinion of it. Um, and I, I will say there's still more endgame stuff to do. There's more than I thought. 
Um, this game is constantly surprising me and having beaten the final boss was no uh, no difference in that. So I kind of assumed I beat the final boss and you know you get a cutscene and credits roll and I knew that wasn't really the end um, because you kind of get some sections which is not a huge spoiler because it starts early and it runs throughout the entire game but after you do major things in the game you always go back to your house which is you know just on this alien planet from time to time uh and just casually yeah you know, you know that's just there that's totally fine and you go in and you always get these like really intense like story sections and like a lot of the exposition and a lot of the world building comes from um, going through your house and so i thought like okay i know i beat the boss but i'm gonna go back to my house and, and check that out uh, and that will be like the true final cutscene. um so i go back to the house and instead of just having one section it turns out there's a whole nother like kind of third act with like this other quest I've got to do now and oh, wow. That's cool. I was not expecting that so the game totally played me and, and kind of you know we'll, we'll use that hot internet term now it subverted my expectations it's <laughs> <laughs> um, a good thing though like extra content that you weren't expecting for a game yeah, like Eternal like that's, exactly. that's a huge win which is nice because I know there's a lot of um like collectibles and, and stuff to do which I know some people say is kind of a little bit grindy and I think if you want 100% it, it it does kind of fall into that category just because there's due to the nature of how like procedurally generated a lot of the levels are um you don't always have access to all the things you might need to collect and so if you're trying to get something from one room that only shows up on every like sixth run then you know you kind of got to just keep going until you, right. you get that room but um overall like that's only if you're trying to like 100% platinum the game for me, I'm just kind of trying to get through all the story stuff and we'll see if I still have a drive to play after kind of what I feel is like I've completed the content. I don't know. I always talk a good game about platinuming things and I never do. So we'll see. Maybe It's Returnal, a big commitment a lot of the time. It is. And, and there's just so many other things to play. But maybe Returnal is just that special. It could be the one. <laughs> Um, it depends if there's any bullshit trophies, like, you know, if they're just huge time sinks for something yeah. that's so, un like, not that enjoyable to, to do. Yeah. You know, those are the ones that always put me on. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I, I haven't looked into it too, too much because I don't, you know, sometimes trophy names spoil things or whatnot. So I haven't taken a look in that way. But um, from what I have played, I will say that this game is incredible. Um, I don't feel like I've com fully completed the story, so I'm, I'm going to keep playing for that. Um, but oh my god, like it's gone down some really dark paths. Like this is a story about grief and loss and guilt. And it is just the way that it tells it through this fragmented narrative that you're kind of putting these pieces together. And I think there's going to be so many things at the end where, you know, it's up to your interpretation. You don't know, like, is everything real? Like, you know, how much of previous experiences have colored this planet like where exactly is this planet like there's so much going on with the inhabitants of it and, and these this alien culture and kind of how Celine fits into this and so um maybe that's one maybe one day when you've beaten it or or I can venture into that as a as an extra episode because I think there's a lot to unpack like you could teach like college classes about the story of Returnal <laughs> like it is it is really like marvelous storytelling in this game um so i think maybe we'll, I'll... We'll as i play the game as i play mm -hmm. the game like when, whenever i do we'll have to do like spoilery updates like i'll yeah. talk about it in spoiler territory so we can go together or yes. something like that that would be fantastic but i don't want to ruin it for you or anyone listening because i think it's a really special experience um but i will say some of the gameplay stuff so the final biome 
uh, I was really impressed with. Um, last time I think when we talked about it, that was the one place I hadn't seen. Um, but I am so impressed. Like, slight spoilers for the environment, it is an underwater level, which, you know, canonically in video games is never the, the place that you want to be. It's always a horrible time. Nobody likes to be underwater. It's, it's slow and sluggish and awkward. But Returnal really makes it work in a way that, like, I never expected. And so what's interesting is a lot of the later biomes kind of parallel the first few ones. Uh, and this underwater one is interesting because it kind of adjusts your gravity a little bit. You jump just that little bit floatier and a little bit further, but it doesn't fundamentally change, you know, how you feel to control. So I feel like it hits that perfect sweet spot of it really like changes things up and keeps you on your toes, but it also still lets you utilize everything you've learned up to that point and you really have to have like developed those skills. And so it's tough to do. Sometimes I feel like games go too different and they throw what you've done in the past out the window and it's it doesn't feel like the same game, but sometimes but I but I do like at the same time where it feels like that big climactic final thing that's been different from what's happened to you previously. Right, right. So I, I think it's I, interesting that the last level is the water level. Usually it's mm -hmm. like, you know, that's like a change of pace kind of thing partway through. But yeah. it's interesting that they finish with it. But yeah, they well, they, there's some story significance um, to it being at the end. And uh, I think also like they just knew it was so it was just so different and unique. And just some of the way that the enemies come at you, because typically you've got like ground enemies and you've got flying enemies. But now you have swimming enemies and the angles that they attack you from and kind of where you've got to be like conscious of is a little bit different as well and so it feels a little bit more hectic like there's an extra layer of like where you can be attacked from and what makes you safe and you can't really like hide behind things underwater because they're coming at you from from all these angles mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it really means that like you've got to be on your game a hundred percent uh and it is it is just marvelous so i've got a fun stat for you as well um, I, I died. Now, how okay, I'm going to have you guess how many <clears throat> times do you think I died before I beat the game? And so this is my collective oh playthrough. Um, okay. <laughs> how many hours do you think you played for? Ooh, that's, you know what? That's really hard because when I first started playing, they didn't have that save file. Mm -hmm, uh, you, mm -hmm. do, you couldn't save and so pausing your run was just like putting your playstation to rest mode so i don't know if it like okay. i don't know well, how much well, it happened, I mean, like, but maybe maybe 22 25 okay hours? I'll, I'll say i'll say well let's see i mean you're pretty good at these type <laughs> of things um i think you're probably not quite as good at returnal as you would be at souls so i'll add a few deaths i'll say you died maybe Let's call it one and a half times an hour. I'll say 30 deaths. 30 deaths? Okay, I think that would be amazing if you beat the game in 30 deaths. I beat the game with, <laughs> with a exact 50 before I saw the credits roll. Okay. So, I don't know. That sounds reasonable. That seems reasonable enough. There was a couple places I got stuck. Um, there were two bosses I beat on my first try. Uh, but I found I typically got stuck more in, like, areas than uh, in bosses so much. But... Um, I will say boss, the final boss I beat on my first try and he was a very cool boss. Wow. Congratulations. First Thank try. You. That's pretty, pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. Yep. That'll be my first humble brag of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got more. I've got more. Um, but yeah, please play Returnal. I could all, I want to speak to it more in detail, but I think it's, it's so special. 
Um, the other thing I want to say that I've kind of, I really appreciate in the game is just how different the guns are. You collect them as you go and uh, some kind of seem like random when you pick them up. Some have like certain barriers that you have to kind of get through, whether they're hidden in a specific place or after a boss. But you collect probably like, I don't know, maybe around 11 different types of guns, maybe 12, maybe that, maybe not more than that. I'd say maybe around 10-ish. But every single one of them feels totally different to play than previous ones. And you really have to like adjust how you're playing based off of what gun you have, which is really interesting because there were a couple that I started out and like, I hate this gun. Like I really don't want it. It's terrible. <laughs> I suck with it. And then you just kind of figure out and it clicks for you. And then some of the ones that ended up being my favorite guns were ones I thought I wasn't going to like. Uh, and I think all of them are just so unique and creative. They've got that amazing like alien design to them. Uh, my favorite one, I think that I ended up, not the one I, I took to the final boss, but I think my favorite one, the coolest one they have is one where it's called this like pylon driver one and it puts down these like electric line, electrical lines. And so it shocks whatever's connecting to the lines. So instead of just shooting mm. the enemies, you want to shoot one connected to the enemy and then connect it to terrain so that they're just constantly getting zapped. But what's really cool is if you have a lot of enemies, you can connect them all together. And so the pylons are connected to the enemies and they're all like getting this like amazing chain lightning going. And if like you put these pylons in the right places, it can just absolutely like shred through health bars because they're just taking constant, constant damage. And then you can play like very defensive and like focus on dodging and, right, and dodge. avoiding attacks because your damage is just like passively like ticking up. I think that's something about Returnal that makes it seem so impressive to me and probably the thing that has me the most excited is well aside from the lore obviously like mm -hmm. I think I think the 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 world obviously looks very impressive but the 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 gun variety and the way you mm -hmm. you talk about how everything feels so much different to me is very compelling like it's not like playing a game where you you know this is the rifle this is the shotgun it's just kind of those standard mm -hmm. options it really feels like you've got some very unique um unique ways to tackle the enemies in the game so i like that's to me what i'm most excited to check out when when mm -hmm. uh, i get the chance yeah abs absolutely yeah. there's there's definitely a few that i i won't spoil for you and then they're kind of based off of those archetypes like there is a you know the short range kind of shotgun sort of gun and there's sure, like, sure. you know there's the pistol and then but and there's like kind of like a machine gun sort of idea but they all have different twists and as you keep upgrading them they just get that extra little bit more unique and getting different combinations really feels like amazing i guess the downside is sometimes you get something and you're like oh like i'm i'm gonna lose like i'm shit with this one like this is terrible but then other times you get sure a guy but and you're as like, long as that doesn't happen that often like, yeah exactly. I, I feel like it's still a and good the, a positive the game gives you a lot of drops so you're never stuck with anything for too too long um and it, yeah it depends but i think it, it's definitely like part of mastering the game is mastering and getting comfortable with each version of the gun so that you're always able to, to utilize all your resources. And, you know, certain guns might be better at certain bosses. So if you can bring in the, you know, like there, there's one boss that's pretty, pretty far away from you. It's hard to get close. And so the first time I fought it, I went in with like a shotgun. I was like, this is not going to work out for me. <laughs> so there, there's a bit of that to it. But yeah, I cannot say anything, um, I mean, I'm sure the game's not perfect, but I have hardly any negatives to say about Returnal. It is an absolute, like, masterpiece. And now that 
you can actually save your run and they don't expect you to leave your PlayStation on for, for four days straight. <laughs> that was the negative of the game. That was that the was, negative. Yeah, that was what really dragged it down. But this, this is incredible. Um, but moving on, I have another big success uh, that I just want to shout Up, out quickly. Day of updates for you, Kate. A day of updates. This is like my crown glory episode. Um, I had talked previously last show about playing some of the Darkest Dungeon 2 early access. And I just want to shout out that I beat the boss of that early access. So there's still some stuff for me to unlock. I've got a few characters I haven't uh, added to my roster yet. So I'll probably be playing a little bit more. Uh, but it was really cool making it to the final boss and actually defeating him. And this game, is it's going to be special. It still has a lot of kinks to work out. Definitely there's some balancing things. Uh, the relationship system's still a little bit uh, very, very swingy, I would say. Um, but the final boss is amazing. And so it's, the game is very psychological, right? It's all about the horrors of, of what dungeon delving would do to you and fighting these Lovecraftian monsters and, you know, how that would just destroy you mentally. And so the boss in this one, in the first stage, it's called Denial. And there's other stages, which my guess is they're going to be the, the five stages of grief. And we're going to start with Denial and kind of work mm. our way through them. And I think that would be a really neat thematic thing for the game to do. Uh, but so far we just have denial and so this boss is like this this brain that you fight and he's he's got this like amazing like imagery around him like the image that they use for stress in the game is kind of like crowning him and he has these locks that you the part that you actually fight and they will t use some of their actions to prevent you from doing various things which is a really cool way of switching up kind of how the mechanics work uh, and also it's a cute little play on it being the denial run because <laughs> he's denying you from using certain type of actions so that you can't heal for a turn or you can't use like ranged attacks for a turn or you can't melee for a turn so then mm. it's like oh shit like well you know like what am I going to do with my actions now you got to constantly be switching up sort of how you're approaching things and then it also puts this this extra tension where it's like well I might not be able to heal later do I waste an action healing now or like what's going to happen and so it is a hard fight let me tell you it is not easy those things have a shit ton of health and they're stopping you from doing things and like there I would never have expected any fight to be easy in <laughs> darkest dungeon that's true that's true but I, I think the fight was a was a big spike for how the rest of my run went um but it is it is really special um and I just gonna tell you a quick little cute funny story and I don't think I should have won this fight but I beat him I don't think I necessarily earned it, but uh, my team went in and we were like on top of the world. Everyone was best friends. No one was stressed out. We were having a great time, you know, like, you know, like we're almost on vacation. We're like going up this mountain. Beautiful. Maybe we'll have a, a nice camp at the top. And <laughs> we start fighting this brain. And I, my tank was the absolute hero. So in Darkest Dungeon, one of the main mechanics is you go down to death's door. And so instead of going to zero health and just dying, you go to zero health and you get put on death's door. And then any attack, any damage you take after that has the potential to kill you, but you have a percentage chance to resist death's door. And so you want to heal them as quickly as you can because sitting on death's door is horrible. It's very stressful. It stresses your whole party out. Like bad things start to happen and you could die at any second. So 
relatively early on in the fight, my tank character, my man-at-arms, he got to death's door. I'm like, oh shit, like game over. Once you lose a character, it's basically Rip. like you're over. And so he's at death's door and they're like, oh, denied, you can't heal. And I'm like, oh God, like this is a problem. And so he was there and I was kind of hovering him a little bit above zero and then he'd go back down and then I ran out of healing. I was totally out of healing resources. He's on death's door. I'm like, shit, he's gonna die. And this absolute monster of a man must have taken like 10 to 15 hits just sitting on death's door. And he's like, nope, not going to die. Nope, not going to die. Just sheer force of will. This guy just <laughs> stayed alive. A determination. He had two mental breakdowns and like said a bunch of horrible things to his friends while he was on death's door. He just got absolutely traumatized, still refused to die. He finally dies after I'm like halfway through the fight because I've just been like, you know, pummeling the boss while he's just stood there like, like the me, have you seen the meme of like, um, that guy and he's like standing like with a T pose and all this like fire and rockets is hitting his back and he's like, there's a guy in front of him. He's like, <laughs> yeah, I got yeah. you. he was absolutely yeah. doing that. And so he finally dies. And when you die, you leave a little corpse behind in the, in like where they were standing because it's intended to kind of like mess with the the way the position system works so sometimes you got to clear corpses they can be in the way and so he leaves a corpse and the next enemy turn hits that corpse so he blocked another hit with his <laughs> stupid corpse immediately and he so he still won't go down even in still, death even in death he's tanking for my team so we ended up the other two character two out of the other three remaining characters were on death's door at the end of the fight uh, totally stressed out. We had more meltdowns. One of my characters was like not stressed at all and at like basically full health. So clearly she's like the absolute like stone cold killer of the team. She just has no emotion. She has no emotion. But anyway, so we figured it finished. He died, two death's doors. We just scraped by and had the most epic fight. And I still don't think we deserved it, but we got so lucky. And the best part is that I'd named all my characters after like friends of mine. And it was kind of like we ran through the group together. And the guy who is the tank is like canonically lucky in real life. And we always say like, he's so lucky. Like he'll always get like the, the dice roll he needs or be like, okay, we'll draw a card in a game. Like, oh, I really need, I really need a seven. And he'll fucking just draw the seven. Like he's so lucky. And so I'm playing this game. I'm like, of course it's him. Of course it's him that just can't die because like, he has this like <laughs> insane superpower that transcends real life into video games <laughs> where he's not even playing. And so, yeah, it was great. Um, I had what an experience. It was absolutely insane. So, you, so I'm, do you think you're going to get that game like on, on release then? Dark, uh, Dark well, I, I've got it. So, yeah, I've already bought the game. Oh, you do? Um, okay. Okay, yeah, okay. Bought it early to play for the early access. It's great. <clears throat> I've even been playing actually. Maybe I'll. I'll speak more on that later, but I've actually gone back and started playing the first Darkest Dungeon again because right, yeah, it's, yeah. it's an it's I think I saw you on, on Steam uh, the other <laughs> yeah. night playing some of that, It's a actually. crime I never beat it, <laughs> and uh, just because of how good the story's been in this game, I'm like, you know, I really got to see like yeah, how yeah. the story of the first game ends, and I think like it, it is intended to be a direct sequel, and so I feel like, you know, I really don't want to miss anything, so yeah, I, I feel like this the series is not perfect, and it's it's got a lot of really like prickly bits to it and it's like it's a pineapple it's it'll it's sharp and unpleasant on the outside but beautiful and juicy once you get past that exterior and it is not gonna be my game of the year like Returnal but I I really have been enjoying playing both of these games and 
you know, there's been a lot of a lot of satisfaction beating some tough bosses. <laughs> you have, uh, you've had some good some good games going on then, I guess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so have I, Kate. Let me tell you about them. Um, first up, Streets of Rage 4. Now, this is the game. Uh, this is the game I showed you the soundtrack for once I <laughs> when I started playing, and I this is where I have to start is with the soundtrack for Streets of Rage 4 because so my good. God, like. So it's I was I've been doing a bit of research on it just because I wanted to see like you know who's the composer and stuff. Of course, it's Yuzu Koshiro. He's he's been um, doing a lot of Sega games even back since the '90s. Um, you know, Sonic, Streets of Rage. He did the music for the Sega Genesis Mini that came out a few years ago, um, and he's done the whole Streets of Rage series as well. And I just love like they they describe it as uh, a blend of swaggering house synths with dirty electro funk, <laughs> and that is like exactly what the soundtrack of this game that, is. That but is a killer is, description. Like, Man, if you if you've never heard the Streets of Rage Four soundtrack in any capacity, pause the podcast right now. Go listen to like the character select the music, character select. Um, or or my personal favorite, Funky HQ. Funky uh, HQ was the... good, but I think the character yeah, select was, was like absolutely oh, yeah. perfect. Like I don't know how you play that game because I don't know how you leave the character select screen. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, I spent a lot of time like you know checking Twitter on my phone just on that screen, mm -hmm. just letting it go. When I was playing, but um, yeah, Streets of Rage Four. So Streets of Rage is a is a really classic um, beat 'em up franchise back from the '90s. I actually was doing just looking into the original. It was you know um, came out in '91 the original game, and then between up until I think '94 was the release of the third one. So they came out in like boom, 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 quick succession. Um, I think like these type of games were way more popular back then, right? So I, I feel like they really hammered them out. And then when they got rebooted, the Streets of Rage Four. Um, back in 2020, it was kind of a surprise to see, you know, such a not only an older franchise like this that's not really had any entries for so long, but also like beat em up games aren't really that popular yeah. these days. And that's... so, you know, yeah, it's just one of those franchises that I mean, it just doesn't get a lot of a lot of new entries these days. So I, I figured it was a good thing to go check out. Um, you know me, I like to play a bunch of different stuff, always always bouncing around between some different genres. And especially like this one caught my eye too, because um, back at the Game Awards last year, um, this was the runner up to Hades for best action game um, uh, at the award show. So, I, you know, it's it's just another reason to check out something like this. And I had a really good time with it. I, I think um, overall, like this isn't really my genre of game. I feel like it still feels like an older game in a lot of ways like it, it's it's very much what you'd expect from one of those side scrolling beat em ups you know you've got the the um you know pick up items off the ground the destructional destructible environments where you like punch over garbage cans and find giant mm -hmm. turkeys and eat them mm -hmm. for your, your health all, it's boost nice and, stuff. and fresh delicious <laughs> nice and fresh right from the garbage can baby mm. just like i like my turkey um yeah, so it's all the standard stuff, but I, but I I like the way that it kind of tweaks and modernizes it a little bit, and I and I my favorite thing about this game compared to other beat 'em ups I played, like this is this is probably my favorite game in the genre. Not again that I've played a whole lot of them, but for some reason I don't the way they've made this game, it just seems it's a lot easier to tell kind of where you are on the plane of view. So because it's side scrolling, you can also move up and down. In a lot of the older games, my biggest complaint is like it's so hard to tell when your when your character is lined up with the enemy and you're not just mm -hmm. gonna like punch into midair and like not hit anybody. Yeah, especially Whereas when you're jumping game, because like the aerial like up when you're is jumping. like very similar. Like jumping up is very similar to like moving further away and yeah. 
Yeah. Totally. And and this game, for some reason, I don't know if it's the art style or or whatever it is, but I just found it it was a lot easier to line my character up with uh, with the enemies. And so I, I found like I was able to actually pull off what I was trying to do, like combo wise or like my moves. I was actually a lot more intentional rather than I found like when I would play, you know, Final Fight or like some of the original Streets of Rage you would just kind of be punching in midair a lot of the time or kind of just spamming your moves. So I, I really appreciated that um about about the game so but other than that i mean it's very much just a standard beat em up kind of game like it's got some gorgeous 2d art the characters are like snappy and bouncy i don't know if you've if you've looked at it too much but the way it's animated like mm-hmm. it, it looks retro but in a very modern way and like the main character acts the like, fighting stance where he's moving around but he has this like a hoodie tied around or a flannel tied around his waist and mm-hmm. the, the sleeves of it kind of just have this bounce to them as he's moving up and down and it's just so snappy and like the, the art style is just is is really really enjoyable to look at in pretty much every animation and that goes for the stages and the characters as well mm-hmm. um and then combined with that art style for the graphics they've got um, these kind of cell shaded comic panel type of cutscenes that come in between each level of the story mode um, not that I really care too much what the story was in the game. Like, you know, there was just some evil syndicate taking over the city. And I'm sure for Streets of Rage fans, it must have been pretty interesting to see, like, the main character, Axel. And there's another character, uh, for, I'm blanking on her name right now, but they were kind of like the two returning characters from the originals. And they're older now, and they've got different art. And mm-hmm. I'm sure for fans that kind of know the lore, it would have been kind of cool to see. And, and there's another character who's another main character's daughter who's now... You know, her name's Cherry. She's actually one of my favorites. But, um, I mean, the story wasn't really it for me, but I did appreciate the way they presented it kind of with, with the comic panels. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I don't you don't want to be sitting getting bogged down in, in like, cutscenes or a bunch of dialogue in a game like this. Like, I'm just yeah. here to beat the shit out of some guys and whack them over the head with a pipe and, you know, throw yeah. shurikens at them. Exactly. You, they they know thing. what their selling point is of the game. And, yeah, like you said, those extra details are super cute and, like, the callbacks are fun. But at the end of the day, it's a very fast-paced game, right? Like, you're in the mood to yeah. just just you just scroll and you're going and you're fighting and you know eating chicken and things are good (laughs) exactly and it's really simple to play too like there's only really a few buttons like you obviously move around you've got a jump button you've got a a pickup button kind of interact you've got your main attack and then you've got your special moves on up on um, triangle but what's cool about it is um i really like the way that the game encourages you to play really aggressively so kind of how it works is you've got your your main attack you can grapple you can throw but then every character also has special moves but there's no kind of mp or resource you use for it it just um has this interesting mechanic where they, what they do is when you use your special move you uh lose some of your hp but then what happens is is that the the part that you've lost doesn't just go away it kind of turns your bar into a different color and then if you hit enemies um, after performing your special move, you actually can refill your health back up to where it had, the amount it had used to use your special move. So if you play really aggressively and you're using your special like constantly, and then you're you know comboing guys after the fact, you you'll actually keep restoring your health, and it encourages you to play aggressively and actually use your special moves rather than kind mm-hmm. of oh yeah, I only have so many uses or it's going to take my health away and I can't afford to lose any more health. Like I actually found myself as I was getting lower on health in boss fights, I would be like you know what they're gonna kill me anyway i may as well try and combo this guy and like you know do do my extra damage and it actually worked out more often than not 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was really nice to see, and I, I found that that was a, another really positive change, like a small tweak that this game had made over some of the older iterations, where I never really felt super encouraged to use my anything aside from my basic kind of combo. Um, and then the other the other kind of attack you have too, they have these. Um, I I don't know what their their actual name is. I I just call them star moves because you pick up like these. There there is one where you have a resource like a limited resource where you have these star pickups you can find. Yeah, I think there's like three in each level you can get, and that's like that is like your ultimate ability. Like you're gonna have like a screen clearing attack or something really cool. Like like uh, so my char- my favorite character um, Cherry, she has a guitar on her back and and when she uses her star move she like plays this riff and like this music goes along the screen and hits all these guys and it, it it's just really aesthetically pleasing and all the characters have their own thing like axel the main guy he's got t- sort of like fire punches he does and there's this mm-hmm. big like fire explosion that you got so um they're they're fun to use and like those star moves i think combined with the fact that the regular specials are are not limited and how you can use them adds like a nice variety of like planning how you're going to tackle some of the enemies mm-hmm. um and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that the the thing about the game too is it's it is not an easy game. So I played on on medium, and that's just kind of you know I, I went through it. And and what I do like about the game is that it it uh, it offers a lot of different ways to play. Like you, you, unfortunately, you can't change your difficulty in the middle of the game. But when you game over, which I did on. I don't know, probably three or four of the stages. I think there's like 11 stages in the game. I had a few game overs, but when you when you do lose, you uh, you can either retry the stage, change your character, or you can add yourself some extra lives. And the only, like, so if you start with regularly two lives, you can start with three or four or five. But whenever you choose to increase, if you if you do choose to do that, you get a lower, your score multiplier goes down. So um, for people who are kind of replaying the game and chasing that high score, it encourages you to not just you know be reckless and use a bunch of lives like you want to actually um mm-hmm. try try to survive so it's just cool like options for, for people that want to use them i i didn't actually end up using some of those i i did make it through the game um just with my standard kind of lives. so i'm pretty impressed with that it's, it's not an easy game i wouldn't say but it's also like the kind of thing where you can really learn the boss's patterns learn the levels mm-hmm. and then you're uh you're good to go it's a good time um very interactable environments like i said there's lots of like destructive it's not just like picking stuff up like you know you pick up like swords and pipes and all that kind of thing but they also have things in certain levels like there's one where you're you're um, going up an elevator in in a like a penthouse to like a penthouse and the elevator is glass and if you punch enemies into the wall enough times like throw things into the wall the glass actually shatters and then you can begin to like punch guys out of the side of the elevator and they just go flying out of the stage mm-hmm. or like I, I began to just I broke the sides and then I just started picking guys up and just chucking them out like I didn't even try to kill them it was, it was like <laughs> fun in its own way That's just trying awesome. to throw them off those games are usually good for having like fun little secrets like that and little like environmental bits that, that you can deal totally, with so that, yeah. that's awesome um I have yeah, a question good. about this game does it yeah. have does it have multiplayer can you couch mm-hmm. co-op okay yeah couch, couch co-op you got online co-op okay um there's a bunch of different characters you can pick i think there's there's like a standard roster of four characters and then you've got um a bunch you can unlock some of them are through the story um one thing that's really cool too is is as i was playing um i actually unlocked 
um, the original version of Axel from the from the original Streets of Rage. So he was I was actually playing a level as him, and mm-hmm. it was like the original like it was like eight bit. It was mm-hmm. like the original sound effects. It was so bizarre. He actually had like less of a move set also because I guess wow. like they they really tried to keep it authentic, and so like that was pretty interesting. It was that hard as nails cool. playing as that character, but that but, is a, um, that is yeah. a super cool detail because yeah, also it's exciting, and then I guess it also like is sort of a natural like difficulty scaling too it's like we beat the game with this like objectively kind of crappier character and so that that's <laughs> well, probably I'm not sure if he's objectively mm-hmm. worse like the, the characters are actually like i mean I, maybe he is i'm not too sure but they all have like their special stuff like the the original character he's what he's really good at is he has like an insane priority on his aerial moves so when i'm jumping you know you do your aerial attack it'll go through and like if you clash it'll always go through and so I guess maybe I just didn't tend to use those type of moves or something, but mm-hmm. um, I mean that that's that's kind of cool. Like there's there's certain characters like Cherry's mine. She's more like an AOE type of attacker. There's one guy Floyd. He's like the the big guy, and you can actually pick up two enemies at once with him and like smash them together <laughs> over your together. head. So, <laughs> like, that was really fun. Um, yeah, it's just a good time. I mean, the couch co-op, I think I probably would have had more fun Mm -hmm. doing it that way than playing it by myself, but the game is super short. Like I beat it in probably under four hours. Mm -hmm. Um, there's not, it's one of those, like you, you know, they encourage you to go back, play on higher difficulties. Um, there's a boss rush, there's a stage select, there's all the different, those different types of things. Like they know it's a short experience. They kept it tight. They just are giving you reasons to go back and play. Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. I just ask cause like that's, that's typically like how i would play the game like i think they're fun to play like co-op but like i'm like recently i played castle crashers with a couple friends and like we had a good time with that game yeah it was an absolute blast but it was kind of one of those things i wouldn't see myself like just picking it up alone but playing with friends like you know we were having we're having a good laugh and so so use your rage like i just it's a good excuse to hear that soundtrack if i were to pick it up (laughs) so to be honest with you going back to that and like finishing on the soundtrack um, I, I mean, I would have beat this game anyway, just because it was it was fun for what it was. Like, it's it's mm-hmm. not in the game of the year conversation. It still feels a lot like, you know, a capsule from 20 years ago in a lot of ways and like mm-hmm. its design. But just the, the level of polish, the art and the music is really what kept me going because getting to each new stage and like seeing the visuals of it and like, oh, man, like this soundtrack feels good. I wonder like how it's going to evolve and like what the what the new like baseline is going to be like later in the stage. Like it was it was just really, really compelling to go through and see the tracks. Um, so yeah, check it out. It's, it's short. Give it, give it a go. Um, I have another game to tell you about Kate and this one, this is a this is called last stop. And unlike streets of rage, which I would say I totally recommend. And you know, it's a nice, short, snappy experience, great soundtrack. Enjoy yourself. I'm not sure I can recommend last stop to people too strongly. And so this is a game, uh, it's published by Annapurna. It's from a, a, um, developer called Variable State, which I've I've not heard from before. They're actually an um, an English based developer, okay. um, which is kind of interesting. The game is actually set in in England, so characters have accents and they got those brick houses, and it's mm-hmm. it's kind of cool. Like for anyone that's been there, I was hope I was hoping to see like Greg's pasties <laughs> pop up and <laughs> yeah, I have a great <laughs> but, shout out. <laughs> unfortunately, not. But um, anyway, like as people know, like one of my more favorite genres is kind of these story based kind of games. Um, Annapurna usually is you know, full of hits for me at least. Um, and so Last Stop is one of these like, hey, no, choose your own adventure kind of Telltale-esque games that I saw on Game Pass. Like, check it out. I think I'd heard uh, I, Loud Thumbs was talking about it as well, our friends over there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I see what they're going for. Some of the story beats in this game are cool, but my God, um, 
I just, by the end of it, it had become funny to me. And the whole game was just like, I don't know. I'll talk about it. So just a warning for everybody. I'm going to go spoilery on this, on this one, something we don't usually do on the show. Mm-hmm. But I actually think that getting into spoiler territory will make this a better discussion. And honestly, um, it might actually compel you to play the game more than mm. if I was to dance around. Because it's so story-based, right? Like, you can't talk about it without it. But, um, Okay, so there's three main storylines. The concept of this game is that there's uh, three characters and you're following all their stories. And they don't really have a lot of interaction. Like, your characters never meet each other. But what they do do is they they exist in the same city and their lives kind of intersect in a way. Like one character's spouse is like the therapist of another character. Okay. Or as you're walking down the sidewalk, you'll see like, like, oh, that's where I play as. He's sitting at the bus stop there. Like they're mm-hmm. just kind of like in the right. same city and somewhat connected, but not really. Um, and, and at least until the end. But there's three stories. So the, the first one is that there is a um, single dad. And he essentially has a Freaky Friday experience where he changes bodies with a dick of a neighbor that he's got. And they kind of have to navigate, like, how are they going to parent their daughter? Like, how are they going to reconcile this relationship that is, like, they don't like each other and they've got to kind of bond because, you know, the dad is, like, in his late 40s, 50s and out of shape. And and then the the neighbor is, like, an asshole, but he's young and fit and, like, you know, popular. And they're they're having this Freaky Friday (laughs) situation. So they've got to figure that out. Um, second one is there's this woman and she works for a, um, I, I don't know. It's like, it's like some kind of James Bond style, like secret agency. And it's not, it's, that's honestly like the, the most compelling thing about the game is this agency and they're investigating like this, these supernatural things. But her storyline is less about that. And it's more about the fact that she, because her job is so demanding, like doesn't, she neglects her husband and her young kid at home. And she's also having an affair, um, which you get to participate in. So that's fun. Mm. And then the third, uh, the third scenario is a teenager. She's um, got a couple friends, and this is the storyline that really throws me for a loop. Is they end up like they find this creepy guy, right? And there's there's some supernatural stuff going on in the game. I'll get to it in a second. But they basically kidnap this guy and then have no remorse for doing so, and just like, oh, I guess we're gonna, you know, um, just keep him in this in this like community center that no one uses for a few days and never really have too much trouble with it and so it's just it's just like kind of weird um so the way where do i want to go from this um, <laughs> well, i'm gonna say so far the the premise yeah. and the intrigue is very compelling like this seems like on paper it has a lot of potential um so yeah yeah it's a it shame does. it didn't it, hit it, as hard <laughs> No, and you know, a lot of it's like the, the, the concepts are interesting, but the way the game, like it just becomes funny. And I'll tell you what gets funny about it is like, there's, they clearly put a lot of effort into like developing the story. And there's uh, one last thing, which I will give backstory on the, on the narrative is like there, there's a supernatural element. The game opens with this cutscene, and there's these two young kids and they're kind of running from the police after doing something. And then there's these kind of like green wispies and like this green kind of magic. And they find this door and one of them goes through. And throughout all these storylines, like there's this kind of supernatural element. Like the, the um, there's obviously the Freaky Friday situation where the magic switches their bodies. Um, the, it turns out that the, the affair lady, her agency is investigating this, this magical entity. Right. And then with the kidnapping, the guy that they end up um, restraining, like holding in this place, he is... Um, magical like his eyes can turn green and he can do some weird shit so that it's it's all kind of connected like that um but as interesting as the concept seems 
um, the game itself, and I'm not knocking it for being obviously like not the highest budget thing, but the gameplay itself just becomes like there's two things you do, which is either you're standing still and, and kind of just having your conversation, picking your dialogue options, which is fine. Like that's expected. But then the other thing is you're doing that exact same thing, but you're just walking and the characters are always looking for reasons to go for walks. Like it, and it becomes mm-hmm. like, it takes you out of it. They're like, Oh, let's, let's just go for a walk. Oh, I'm just going to head down here. I'm just going to go for a walk. Like, let's just go on over here. Mm-hmm. Like we're in a rush. And they're, they're always like walking at the same nonchalant pace. Like, talking and walking like they're just they're just you just wander this city having conversations Mm. and it becomes like comical like there's there's one situation so for the the teenager girl the one who's involved with the kidnapping unfortunately for her 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 sister is a police officer and so she eventually like has some family stuff going on with that and her sister eventually finds out there's been a kidnapping and and they're like we oh my god like we have to go see what's going on like what what is this and then they just take this nonchalant walk through the city, <laughs> like no urgency at all. No They're urgency. having this conversation. It's, it's the video game. Walks. Like it's the video game. Like, Oh, we have to save the world. It's going to be destroyed. But like, Oh, that other lady over there asked me to deliver exactly. these three pies. I better do that. first. Exactly. But the, the <laughs> yeah. thing about this one is, is like the game is completely based around the story. Yeah. It's trying to tell, like, like give me an option to run, man. Like I just, I want to go a bigger, but the, it's clearly just like, um, they, the walking scenes are clearly just added in there so that not every single scene is just standing stationary and picking dialogue options. Like, they're giving you some type of control. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just becomes, like, by the end of the game, it's like, oh, my God, they're just walking forever and ever. Like, it just mm-hmm. goes on. And, it, oh, my God. It, I mean, just, I wish there was more yeah. different scenarios It to do, sounds like basically. a good idea to, to try to add some variety, but it is a little bit of, like, a tonal dissonance if it's, like... You know, like mm-hmm. we, we got to rush somewhere and you're just like having a stroll. <laughs> so may, maybe a yeah, little bit yeah, more yeah. variety would have would have helped. <laughs> I agree. Or like, you know, give me a chance to to spend some time. Like there is a few sequences, especially with like the, the father daughter couple where you're you're kind of walking around the house a little bit and looking around. And, and like I would have liked to see more of that. Like, let me investigate these areas a little bit more and, and you know, find some personal items of some of these characters or you know flesh them out by little letters or something like a lot of games do that type of thing Mm -hmm. where where you can do you know learn through the environment about these the scenarios to like flavor context right but in this game like the the environments are very much like they're they're just there to look nice there's nothing you can do with them aside from the characters um but anyway aside from the way it like that that gripe i guess you could say like it does have some positives there's some nice kind of sweeping camera angles that it, it's got some like cinematic looking shots like especially like even when you're walking around like you're still you're still controlling your characters walking down the sidewalk but it, at least like sometimes you got these like wide angle zoomed out shots sometimes it kind of the camera kind of lowers down and, and looks interesting so i mean it they do what they can to make it look um a little bit more spiced up um they also do a good job of humanizing the characters a lot and i, I found it um, especially again with like the dad, the dad and the daughter, like the daughter is a hilarious little kid. Like she's almost more responsible than him. Like mm-hmm. she's reminding him not to forget his wallet on the way out of the door, mm-hmm. not the other way around. Um, you know, he's always late for work and, and it, it does a good job of like showing the mundanity, if that's the word of, of like mm-hmm. the dad's life. Like he gets to work and his boss is an asshole. He's late. Like he's, you're, you're sitting there, you're carrying out mundane tasks. Like the printer doesn't work. You know, you're online with tech support. Like it is just like a scenario we've all been in. So mm-hmm. it, it does a good job like grounding the narrative like that. 
um, in, at least in that storyline. Like I, I found like that one really contrasts with the kidnapping story, which is like these kids, they, they find this guy, they notice he's doing magic. Um, he, they're like, oh, we got to go check this out, right? So he, the guy walks into the rec center. They, they sneak in to go see him. Then he basically notices them. And they, for some reason, they decide the best thing to do is to restrain him and, and keep him there. And then, like, they just, again, they don't seem to have any, like, regret of doing so. They kind of just decide, oh, I guess we'll just take turns watching him. Okay, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to leave now. Okay. Yep. And then the, one of them comes back and they're like, they're just like, oh, hey, I'm back. Okay, your shift's over. Okay, yeah, see you later. Like, <laughs> it's let's so, like, not nonchalant. even worry about the fact that we just, we're just, like, we're committing, like, a huge crime here. <laughs> you know, like, it's like they're at the arcade saying hi. Do you want to go play some DDR? And instead, they're, they've got a guy strapped to a chair and, like, he's in an <laughs> abandoned building. Like, you're in a hostage situation, motherfucker. Like, right. and jumping, have some urgency. Jumping from that from, to from like, you know. The, fir- the first story that you were describing seems like a very big jump in tone as well. Yeah, it's, it's just it. really weird. It's just really weird. And then there's the third one with the affair and stuff going on. Like, I just played that lady as a complete asshole. Like, I just embraced the fact that I was having an affair. And, you know, it was it was pretty bad. But you, sometimes you got to just check out the dialogue options, mm-hmm. um, you know, see where Absolutely. they go. I think that's the other thing that I didn't really love about this game is I, I really don't have any sense of, like, the, 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 the dialogue choices really do too much. Like... There, it's one of those where oftentimes I feel like they're all very similar. Like I almost would have thought like the response that the that like whoever I'm talking to gave me could have almost been a response for all three of the dialogue mm-hmm. choices. Almost like I'm not actually choosing anything. It's more just like you know to the illusion of choice. Yeah, and I, I don't do. think yeah, like there's definitely not multiple endings. Like the characters at the end, they all kind of connect up and and um, you the. I, I don't think there's room for different kinds of endings. Like each one, I think there's a slight branch at the end, depending on like one final choice you get to make. But any choices throughout the experience, I think are are just there for, you know, the illusion of, of having some kind of, some kind of choice in the narrative. So unfortunately, um, I mean, I wouldn't say it was great. I did finish the game. I, I did get through mm-hmm. it. Um, more so for, like, the comedic factor by the end of it. And the game does a really good job of, like, breadcrumbing you along. Like, you don't... You, you're always switching between each of the um, characters. It's like... Uh, you you play like each chapter and if you play chapter one of the one story then you've got to complete the other two chapter ones before you can unlock oh, okay. the chapter twos so for all the characters they're constantly so they, leaving things on a cliffhanger and you have to just bounce somewhere else that's right and, yeah that's right there and there is cliffhangers you and you're always bouncing along and it's like oh man you know um the 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 daughter and the is going through this really interesting thing i can't wait to see like what happens to her but i've got to play the other two chapters of the other two first and so I, I like that premise. I think the game mm-hmm. is, it's got some interesting stuff, but I, I think that the execution and especially like mechanically, it needs to be more interesting. Um, and, and, but the concept is cool. Like if I would like to see maybe another shot, if, if, you know, they could, they could think of some equally interesting narratives, but, but uh, jazz it up a little bit, you know, give me a little bit more just cause like with games like Man of Medan and the Telltale stuff coming out and, you know, Until Dawn, like the ones we always talk about, like there's just a lot of choices in this kind of realm. And uh, it's, you know, there's not always room for the, the fives and sixes, which I would say this is kind of a part of, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's last stop. Interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. Um, mm. There is no sequel last stop, Kate, but there are some other video game sequels out there. So <laughs> let's move into the second part of today's show where we're going to be talking about 
uh, video game sequels and what some of our favorites are, what makes a good game sequel, and uh, all stuff all stuff related to that. So uh, where do you want to start, Kate? What are, what are your thoughts? I mean, I mean, this is a really broad topic, right? Like, there are a lot of different approaches you can take to creating a sequel. And none of them are necessarily, like, more valuable than others. Um, but I kind of was thinking... What I really like in a sequel, if I really had to narrow it down and pick, I like when a game keeps the core of the original, so whether that's a philosophy or a concept or something that the game is built around, that, that unifying aspect. And they sort of reinvent the game and, you know, maybe maybe that's adding some more mechanics, maybe that's switching up how the story works, maybe that is you know, giving you something new, something that differentiates it, but keeps that core to the original. And an example I have of something that that I really like, and I think this is a much more extreme example than a lot of games, um, but what I think did an amazing job with this is um, God of War 2018. And I know Mm, it's extreme mm -hmm. because it's very different. The combat is very different. um, And, you know, you could say that they, they really feel like kind of totally different things like it's not so much hack and slash anymore uh they've it's gotten like rpg leveling up to it as well they've added like the world exploration is different it's a lot less linear um but i think it really keeps that kind of like core of of the previous games where if you have played them it really enhances 2018 and while they're not totally necessary i would say that like i would 100 percent not recommend starting at 2018 i think it like actually builds off of the original franchise quite well um and it kind of unifies it with the story and it's all about kratos and the characters um Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. i i really like that as a sequel approach um the other one i say that kind of does that as well for me is darkest dungeon 2 and again like it's really changed up like the framing of the game is different it's much more feeling like a roguelike but again, it's got the exact same concept and storytelling approach. All the characters in the combat feel the same. But in this way, they've just changed like the framing of the game, not so much the gameplay. And so I, mm-hmm. I think I like that more than just m- having more of the same. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Like God of War, I obviously, I mean, mm-hmm. we were going to talk about God of War at some point. <laughs> I was, I, I wrote down like to me, like this is, it's like the category I would put it in is like a reboot sequel. Like it's mm-hmm. a sequel in the sense it's part of the same franchise, but it's not like a numbered sequel to a game. So it's it's like a reboot. Like another one of those I would mention too is like something like Metal Gear Solid Five, which is like, you know, <clears throat> it's still stealthy like the the other Metal Gear games, but it's it's a lot more like open and sandboxy, and you can tackle things a lot in a lot of different ways. You can go in guns blazing. You can um, interact with physics. There's a lot of different. Um, you can enter bases from different different ways, you know, like whereas the other a lot of the older Metal Gear games are more linear. And so it's it's like an expansion. And that maybe that's another thing I um another way to jump off too. Like one of the things I was thinking of is like sequels across generational leaps. Mm-hmm. Like God of War twenty eighteen would just wouldn't have been possible back yeah. when they were doing the God of War games on PS2, PS3. Absolutely. I mean maybe PS3, but not to the same extent. Um I'm th- I think of games like um uh like you know, Gran Turismo or Forza, the driving games that kind of come out once a generation. And the generational leap, like, helps those games out because they can just do things and increase the quality mm-hmm. and the, the realism in a way that can't be done 
in on older platforms um which is which is interesting to me too and i, I was thinking like the same thing for like metroid like even comparing like you know the original metroid to super metroid and on the super nintendo it's like the the original has no map there's like you know only two buttons on the controller whereas the super nintendo all of a sudden you have like triple the amount of buttons you can control a lot differently and so the generational leap really helps it out mm-hmm. yeah that, that's a good way to, to point and with the generational leap too like i think there's also an idea of like just creating more of the same but doing it better or using more resources or just even just like telling the story but it's it's just the next chapter of it so i think like while i personally like having a little bit of more variance in in one aspect um i totally get the idea of like not wanting to change too much because you love the first game so much you just want more of that game you want to see more of that character and you want to do more of this whatever it was so i would say like portal is like maybe good for that or like something like the last of us 2 yeah, and yeah. i haven't played the last of us 2 yet um but from what i've seen it really just seems like kind of a continuation from the last of us like sure the mechanics will a bit better i'm sure there's like you know more guns and you have more options from what i've seen with like how to tackle scenarios whether you're going to stealth or you know going guns blazing or what you've whatever you've crafted but at the end of the day i feel like that's kind of what they were trying to do with the first game as well and it's it's similar approach they've just been able to to widen the scope because you know like they're they're continuing off of the first game they've got that base to work off of and then mm-hmm, make it mm-hmm. bigger and better and that's totally valid too because like you know like i'm so excited to start that game to see what happens with the story like that alone to me is enough like it could be the exact same game running in the exact same engine with the exact same guns and mechanics but i just want to know what what the characters do and and portal's the same like you don't need anything else added to the game like they've added a few different things like there's you know like some of the different slimes that change how certain puzzles work but at the end of the day like you're just solving more portal puzzles and getting you know some more hilarious lines from the characters and you know maybe expanding a little bit on the lore and i think like that's totally fine too like if something worked the first time it's it's sometimes nice to just simply get more of it yeah, I think I think um, Portal. I've got a few things to touch on. What you said. <laughs> I think Portal Two is probably an example of of like the best way to do a game sequel, um, and I think it's like one of the strongest sequels I could think of as an example that I'd played doing this. Just because, I mean, the original game is so strong, mm-hmm. and. Portal 2 really is just, it's like you said, it's more of the same, but they've expanded it. Like they've added the gels. There's now a co-op component. Mm -hmm. Um, They've added a few more characters into it as well. Like with Wheatley and GLaDOS is actually, Mm -hmm. you know, more, more involved in the story. And I I like it because it's literally just the same quality of, but just expanded on, on the original. And uh, to me, like, that's exactly what I'm looking for in a sequel. If they're doing it right, which is if I love the first game, keep with the magic of that first game but just increase mm-hmm. the the proposition of what's going on like for me another exact example of that is like mass effect 2 in comparison to mass effect 1 where mass effect 1 like the the story you know is they're they're doing the strong world building the narrative but the mechanics for like the combat and the mako are not where they need to be and and like exploring the galaxy is not where it needs to be right but mm-hmm. then when you get to mass effect 2 it's like the the car there is still the car it's it's not great but it's it's way better than what they make you do in the Mako in the first one. Um, they, you know, they tweak the the menu systems like for the inventory and the combat, and um, <laughs> and and then at the same time they they still have the strong narrative. The the world building continues and like builds along the first one, 
And it just it does exactly the same thing as Portal, where they they give you just a better experience on what was already like the strong parts of the first game. Um, and I think those are like you know the, yeah. exactly what you're looking for um, from a sequel. Another one that I would say falls into that category is as well like um, Borderlands Two, like the way uh, they 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 take the characters from the first one they they add a, a bigger you know cast of characters they introduce handsome jack there's more weapons um class flexibility in terms of like there's there's more diversity in your skill tree and stuff like it's just taking the concept again improving it um and i think horizon zero dawn like the sequel to that looks to be kind of along the same lines where people love the first one but now they're you know improving the melee combat giving you a wider scope of weapons different enemies to fight um climbing and the and the glider they're putting in that we saw in the state of play like those are just additions to an already strong format Mm -hmm. absolutely and and i think that's something that you know is maybe a subtle thing but it's something that's really important in the sequel and what kind of defines it as being a successful sequel to me is did they really acknowledge what worked and what didn't work in previous games and also did they take into consideration what people want to see from the franchise going forward and I'm always of the opinion that it is up to the creators and I think if you are making something and you're not just making like you know here's the next hockey game because we make a hockey game every year and like we're making money if you are creating something and this is your passion and your dream and you are you got a vision for what you want that game to be. I think you make that game regardless of of what people are asking for. Mm. And I think that comes first is like, you know, your creative freedom as as a as a person or as a studio that's working collectively. But at the same time, especially for things that are more like franchises than just games, you you do need to take that into consideration and so I think a good example of, of something like that that isn't done so well is, is a lot of the new Pokemon games and why there's mm, been a lot of mm-hmm. controversy with them is because they're doing the same thing every single time with not really a lot of innovation or differences. And sure, you could say like, oh, we got Mega Evolutions, which are cool new forms and we get new Pokemon every time. And okay, we had Dynamaxing, but it doesn't fundamentally change anything, right? Like they're exciting things that you are new for the first hour you play and then they they feel the exact same the games don't feel different and sure like some people like that because you know they just want to play the same pokemon they just want to play pokemon and it's just a new space for them to do it and there's a new environment and so that's enough and that's fine but i think there's that wasted potential there where people are really asking for like you know they want to see some new things and they want to see like you know even things that we're in previous games that were somehow removed. Like we want to see our Pokemon following us around and they've done that in the past. They don't do that anymore. And so I think you really need to kind of be careful and ask yourself, like, you know, we know what works and we know what doesn't work and you need to be conscious of that. And I think there is that expectation that a sequel should be improving on the previous game, whether the idea is just to have something similar and let people have another game to play in in your world you've created but it's always a missed opportunity, I think, when you don't also acknowledge like what will make this a better experience and not just the same experience, even if the end product is intended to be very similar. Yeah, it, an interesting one I have written down here, like it, it's interesting. It's maybe it's like a specifically one for me, but when I think of like a sequel that kind of let me down or was disappointed, I, I always go back to like Burnout Paradise 
which is interesting because I, I burnout is like, you know, my favorite racing game aside from Mario Kart. And, uh, the, the, it's another generational leap, right? Like burnout was never a, an open world game before paradise. And then as soon as you get to paradise, it's like, you're on this Island, you, you have to drive around and it's kind of open world. You drive to the different events. And I found that like, that's that's a sequel that's trying to follow a trend of like hey you know we couldn't do this on ps2 now it's ps3 we've got all these assassin's creed and like ubisoft stuff coming out like everything's Mm -hmm. open world let's expand our game out and to me it's like that actually wasn't a good thing like i don't Mm -hmm. want to drive around an open world i just want to get into a menu and be put into the races that i want to do and like it's just faster that way than having to drive around and waste your time kind of getting from point a to point b and i think that that's like another um, it's like overextending your scope, you know, like for, it's like the opposite problem of Pokemon where they don't change mm-hmm. basically anything because why would they, they sell like 2 million copies of not even just the one game, like sell like 2 million copies of version A and version B every time. Like they'd be foolish. We're the vocal minority complaining about those problems when, when like millions of people are just buying that game just on name name value alone and i think like burnout is a different situation like in terms of obviously it's not pokemon but to me it's like they did the opposite where they added too much and they made it this open world thing when it didn't need to be it just i just let me pick my tracks you know and like and just do the modes that i want just get in in and out of the races quicker and so i think it's a dangerous thing like sequels can be worse than the originals a lot like not a lot of the time but they they really can be and i know I, i i I struggle to think of some of the examples of that, I guess. Like another one for me, I guess, would be Final Fantasy Tactics Advance, mm-hmm. a game we talk about often. Yes, I, I didn't think the sequel to that game was, was anywhere near as good as the first one. Like the, the first one was just, it felt tight as an experience, you know? Like there wasn't mm-hmm. too many classes. You could reasonably understand what they all did. Um, there was like quite a lot of mechanics and abilities, but it felt like really self-contained. And the second one almost, they introduced a few new things and maybe it's just the way that, I mean, maybe I just didn't, engage it the right way or something but to me it just became a little bit too expanded on what the original one was and i didn't end up liking it quite as much as the original yeah and that, that's always kind of a danger when when you're you know changing things and i, I think it's it's usually it, as long as you're you're approaching in the right way and and you've got a really good idea of what your series is and and what makes you know like what makes final fantasy a final fantasy game for example um as long as you kind of have that at your core and you're making changes that kind of still reflect that philosophy or that like feeling of the franchise, then that's, it's probably worth it. I think there's always going to be people that will prefer one style or the other. And so I know there's tons of people that like God of War 2018, like I just wanted it to be another hack and slash game because that's what I liked. And that's what God of War was to me. And what's wrong with you? (laughs) But I mean, that's the, that's, I'm just kidding. It's a shame because it was amazing how it turned out, but I totally get that because like, you know, there aren't too many franchises like that. And, you know, that's kind of what your expectations would have been when you hear, oh my God, a new God of War game. Right. And maybe you're not as into the more like Mm -hmm. action style games. And so that's, that is disappointing, but I'd say that, you know, like if, if you do a good job with it, like, you're not necessarily, you might alienate some fans and it's unfortunate, but it's, you know, that's, that's kind of the process of of how creative work happens, right? It changes and evolves over time. And I think, um, a franchise that I've seen be really interesting with sequels is Fire Emblem. Uh, that one's kind of gone as a roller coaster for me. So I, I really enjoyed the like GBA era of, um, Fire Emblem. I love, 
uh, six. I even played some of the ones that weren't re- released in it with English and like just had some like yeah, people right, translate right. them online. Um, yeah, Sacred Stones as well as like mm-hmm. obviously exactly fantastic. And so then they went into the um, kind of like the 3DS era and I really fell off of it. Like I didn't think that uh, they were great games and they were very similar like tactically, I guess, but I just couldn't get connected to the characters in the world as much. Because that was always one of the things I found really interesting about Fire, or Fire Emblem is it was a tactical game, but each unit had a personality and they were a character. And they all had kind of their stories. They had a reason that they were there and had joined up. They had their own kind of motivations. And, um, you know, they got they along with... They all like, new characters from, from previous, too. Like, oh, someone in yeah. your party already is like, oh, this is my friend. He's, like, he's just shown up. Like, we ran into him in this village or something. Like, yeah, why don't you join us? exactly. And, like, you know, they would kind of get along better with other characters. And, and so, like, some would, would end up, like, almost, like, dating even at the end. Or they'd just be really close friends or whatever. They had kind of affinities and... And that was, and you know, not all characters could just be best friends because some of them weren't compatible. They were, they were proper people. But then in the newer games, they added in, I think, too much choice for my personal taste. And I didn't like that you could have any unit be any type of unit because that muddied their story, right? Like you can't have someone who's gone and like been studying their entire life in a cloister and and they're this like bishop who uses light magic and now all of a sudden he's like just a dude on a horse with a lance like that doesn't make sense like so you can't write him with a specific backstory if he can just he has to do everything and then also they added these like romance systems where any character can romance anyone and you have like Oh, you get your choice, but then it's like, well, now everyone not, has not anybody. It's not anybody. They can. They have only certain ones they can have S rank compatibility think, with. A lot of them can only get to A. I think with your um, maybe it's maybe it's three houses that does that. One of them, your your main character can romance anybody. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Maybe the main character. Maybe sure. maybe, maybe it's maybe just the main true. character specific, but still, then it's like everyone has to be like an option because whoever you want to choose, it's like. Well, everyone just sort of has to like awkwardly flirt the entire time in case you decide to, to pick true. them. And yeah. I just felt yeah. like it lost that element where the characters were important and said they were all just sort of like a mess. And like maybe they had one trait like this guy is the, the nervous person. And so regardless of who he's talking to, he's nervous. But that's it. Like they, he has one like adjective. And yeah, and I, I found that exact in Three Houses. It was just like that. Yeah. yeah. And so I, and I know like Three Houses, they it did a lot of things better and and i know people really like that game i love the school aspect of it i like the social sim side i think the combat is awesome but again it just for me that's not what drew me to the franchise it's not what made it unique from other tactical games and and so i don't know maybe some people say that that wasn't what was important and they like how it went but for me that was that was kind of a core unique part of the franchise that i think was just totally lost and i think if you're changing and innovating and improving, I think you, for me, I, I want to see that, that soul be the same regardless of, mm. of what it ends up being, whether that's mechanic changes or now it's a totally different setting or totally new characters, new story. Like, does it still feel like the same universe? It's, that's interesting. Like your, your fire emblem point, you make a lot of like good points and I totally agree with you. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't like what they've done a lot of the, like the, especially the interpersonal of the characters, right? Like it's very mm-hmm. much like waifu dating sim in three yes. houses. Like you, yes, you take like your anime girlfriend for tea or something. Oh and my you, God, like, try those to tea sections are so like. Oh, it's so brutal. <laughs> it's so brutal. But I mean, I, I think for me, like for Fire Emblem specifically, not to turn this into like a Fire Emblem <laughs> segment, but it's like, I've never really been too interested in the story of what's going on. Like mm-hmm. I remember playing like seven and, and whatever as, as a kid and, and I feel like a lot of it was like political intrigue that just went Mm -hmm. over my head when I was playing it back (laughs) in the day. And so I was just more there for for the amazing pixel art and the strategy Mm -hmm. elements, which I really liked. And so for me, Fire Emblem's always been more about that than any of the narrative stuff, which is like I've I've enjoyed a lot of the modern Fire Emblems, not all of them, like the fates, the fates and conquest and all those. Like I didn't really like those games, but I liked Awakening and Three Houses is great. But I think I'm more just like the tactics are still fun. Mm -hmm. And I like the um you know the kind of expanded ways you can partner units up and, and stuff like that so like for me the mechanics are still strong but i totally agree with you like the the characterization has really fallen off and i and i wish they would go back to that 2d kind of art style i think i think just the soul of the franchise has changed a little bit and especially in terms of the visuals like those i remember back to those gba games and they had so much like style in that pixel art and when mm-hmm. they did those critical hits and the animations there was just such a like a weight and a and a like flair to them that I feel like has been kind of lost and become a little bit more generic since they've moved to the 3D kind of models. Like there's a lot of games out there that have those type of type of models and the anime kind of look. Whereas uh, the classics, I, to me, like not so much the narrative, but it's the, the look of the games that doesn't quite feel as special these days for Fire Emblem specifically. Um, I agree. Another I think, kind of sequel. I was going to say, oh, just, to, just no. to piggyback off of that for a second, I think I agree. I think a lot of franchises change from like pixel, like 2D art to like 3D models and not with like the highest quality 3D models. And I think it's just like, if you're going to make that change, like I think you really need to nail some like good artwork otherwise like what's the point maybe it's cheaper to produce maybe it's easier to do 3d models now than it is to like draw out this beautiful like hand-drawn art and i don't know maybe that's part of it but like fire Emblem is a good example pokemon we talked earlier i think will look better mm. 2d than it does has ever looked 3d um we talked king of fighters on our last episode the new um oh yeah yeah the state of play they have a new king of fighters it's now the 2d or like 3d instead of the 2d and so i think like and maybe that's a personal preference, but it just seems like if you're changing something, change it for a good reason and not just because like oh, things are going 3D now and people don't want pixel art. But like, I don't know, maybe more people like it, but I, I miss a lot of the games, like beautiful pixel art Me that too. have changed. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I feel like a lot of the that kind of stuff comes from like spiritual sequels now from indie studios and stuff that are like, mm-hmm. hey, the the main franchise is no longer doing this, so we're gonna take up that mantle. Mm-hmm. And like, as as fans of the of that franchise, right? Like we saw with um, what's that game that's that's like Advance Wars, uh, War Groove. War Groove. Kind of got yeah. that old school style. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, another kind of sequel that I I wanted to bring up was like sequels as extra content. Like I'm thinking of games like like overcooked for example like overcooked 2 is very similar to overcooked 1 mm-hmm. but it's it's literally just like a sequel to add more levels to the game maybe there's a few extra mechanics but it's very much just like more of the same thing and i was thinking of of that in terms of like overcooked is one um i thought i thought um trine could be another one it's like that mm-hmm puzzle platformer for like with like three different characters i get the impression that that's also very similar to the original 
Um, also something even like I was thinking Soul Calibur or like fighting games in general yeah. or like, you know, I know they tweak a lot of the back and mechanics and stuff of those games. And like, there's a huge competitive analysis that I'll never understand. <laughs> um, but I mean, for me, it's like, it's just extra content. Like Soul Calibur one to two is just like, Hey, they've expanded the roster and they've now added guest characters and more modes. And there's just, there's just more to do. It's like an expansion before expansion passes and stuff were a thing. Yeah. It's like, here's and a so nice, I think new, those are good too. prettier, more polished version, but like we're, we're going to do the same thing. And yeah, fighting games are in that weird one where like, yeah, the sequels aren't like, the sequel is just, here's the game, but, like, maybe we, we've done some balancing and new characters and stuff. And Yeah, and I, it's interesting now, like, with in the world of, like, patches and DLC, it's, like, where, what deserves to be a patch or a DLC, whereas what's the, the new base game? Like, Street, Street Fighter V has been out for, like, years and years. Like, <laughs> that game could have had sequels by now, but in, instead it gets updates and, and um, you know, DLC packs and stuff, so... That's, uh, I guess, a change we're seeing in terms of, like, maybe a fewer sequels for certain types of games and more of that kind of thing instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting point. And they are really in their own, like, complete niche for that. Um, I didn't think too much about that, but that's interesting. Uh, the other thing that I kind of really like about sequels and kind of wanted to point out is I like when we get to explore something within the universe that was maybe hinted or alluded to in the first one and we get mm. to kind of go through those different paths and so the best example i think of this is red dead redemption 2 and so it is actually a prequel to the first game and you're playing as the characters from the gang that it had disabandoned or just like um What's the word? They they broken off. They ditched John they Marston. Ditched, they left him. Well, left him to die out he, there. Yeah, that's right. They ditched. They'd broken up, and then so we'd heard about kind of these. They'd refer to these glory days, and we'd seen characters like Dutch at the very end of his of his life, and where he's kind of fallen to ruin, and he's he's destitute, and and he's kind of getting put out of his misery more than anything else. He's a shadow of the man he once was. And so now we get to go to Red Dead 2 and it's it's a prequel and we're seeing like the gang in their heyday and, and we've got, you know, you play as Arthur Morgan, which is a new character, but you know, you're, you're right alongside John Marston for the game and with all these characters mm -hmm, that you, you've mm -hmm. seen, you know what happens to them, but it is so interesting to get to kind of like fill in those gaps. And I love when sequels do that and they kind of like, it's nice to continue the story um and and go forward with a character like you know in a lot of other games like last of us or uncharted or something like that but i really like as well when we get to kind of flesh things out and, and see more of of what colored the world before or not necessarily specific to one character and i i think that really makes an interesting universe or kind of an interesting take on on what you know what other stories are like the what ifs kind of in the world yeah i like that that example a lot that i think that world fle like fleshing out a world that people really love is is an excellent mm -hmm. reason to have a sequel that makes me think of um something like uncharted lost legacy even yeah. where it's like that's a sequel to uncharted but it, it's just telling like a story that took place somewhere in that universe with some different characters then it, it fleshes out <clears throat> excuse me not like not 
not like Nathan's story, but it fleshes out the story of Nadine and Chloe, who are two of the major side characters in the franchise. And and just by playing that, that's I guess it's like we talked about spinoffs and whatever. It's mm-hmm. it's kind of a sequel. Like by by playing that, you're you're actively increasing the the world's tangibility and like the lore of the characters you've come to know across the main series and so i think that's that's an excellent thing that sequels can do and like in different ways like red dead i mean for sure like red dead 2 um i don't think i'm gonna play it but i mean i i love red dead 1 and like knowing that that's the kind of thing that it's included in the sequel is like narratively like that's what i that's just what i would be looking for Mm -hmm. um from the sequel so i think that's a that's like hitting the nail on the head for that um, one, the last one I kind of had like a, the last type of sequel that I'd really been able to think of was like sequels, but are they even sequels because there's so many. Uh-huh. And I think of like, I think of like Final Fantasy and like Dragon Quest and, and all the kind of classic RPGs that I've had, like Final Fantasy has so many iterations. Like mm-hmm. there's just like, it seems like there's hundreds right in there. I mean, there's sequels in name, but a lot of them are not related. Like Final Fantasy four is not related to final fantasy 11 like they're they're totally different games they're they're i mean a lot of them like final fantasy 13 has its own spin-offs like 13 2 and and right. final fantasy 10 10 and 10 2 and stuff like their own mm-hmm. they're their own branches but yeah. at the same time they're kind of sequels to each other and they they're mechanically similar in some ways and and it's just like every version is like an iteration on the same kind of world but they all have their own take and like how are they going to use the different final fantasy tropes like the moogles and the crystals and the the you know the mechanics is it going to be fantasy is it going to be futuristic and tech like in final fantasy 7 um so they're they're like sequels but they're more sequels just on like franchise name alone than anything else yeah and that that's interesting it kind of shows just how like cool video games are and that we have this this massive scope right and i guess in some ways you could argue it's not a sequel and it's just using the name to you know like show you what kind of game or the caliber of the game it's going to be i suppose it's it's connecting it uh in your mind but it's not really related but at the same time like you know maybe you use that because they really follow the same kind of philosophy or core values or or kind of things and so it's kind of like a lot of um Final Fantasy is interesting because some studios do that and some studios make similar games, but they do, they're do they not canonically sequels. Like, for mm-hmm. example, like Bloodborne is not a sequel to Dark Souls, but at the right, same yeah. time, it is a similar game and they took what they learned from Dark Souls and kind of applied a similar sort of format and just, you know, now it's in a different setting, uh, in a different world. It's, you know, faster, a little bit more aggressive gameplay, uh, shields and gender passivity. So we've thrown those out the window um, and you play Bloodborne and then you go back to Dark Souls 3 and it's like, well, Dark Souls 3 is now a lot faster and they've implemented some of the combat stuff from Bloodborne. But but this is the sequel to Dark Souls because it's now back in the same right, world. Yeah, yeah. And so there, there's kind of that like muddied of like there's no rules and I guess it's kind of you know however they want to brand like, it um <laughs> yeah it's what we were saying before with like the spin-offs and whatever it's mm-hmm. it's like video games is really it's kind of the wild west in terms of of like <laughs> what's a sequel what's a spin-off what game's related to the next yeah. one you know they're all it's it's really like you can argue it based on whatever you think like this like i always think of the sports games too it's like sure there's nhl 21 and Mad, like madden 21 madden 20 madden 19 madden 18 like they're <laughs> Are they sequels? I don't know. They're just like the next year and that's just the name of the game. And, and you know, you could argue it's a sequel. You could argue it's not. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't really have any more, more um, ones listed out there. I think, I think for me, it's like a sequel can be a lot of different things. I, I guess I would say like my favorite version of a sequel though is 
like those ones like Portal and and um, you know what we anticipate Horizon to be is like where they they take what was the greatest parts of something that was already good and just keep those the same and then and then add more like expand the narrative or like you said in Red Dead Redemption tell me more about the backstory um, as well like those are the best sequels to me. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So yeah, you kind of I think prioritize like I want another experience like the first one, but just make it that much better. Um, which is interesting because yeah, I take what you take learned and and yeah. make an even better version of that. Yeah, yeah, and that's interesting because I obviously love those sequels too, and I, I think what it comes down to is it's it's good that many different types exist because sometimes like variety is is obviously better, right? And there's something for everybody, and even if you have one preferred favorite, doesn't mean you don't like the other types, and it's still not exciting. But I think for me, I like seeing just that little bit extra deviation. I like the kind of God of War approach where it's like, here's the same kind of idea, the same kind of character, but like, how do they respond to a different scenario? Or like, you know, we, we really like kind of changed up, like almost kind of done like Mar- Marvel, like what if sort of thing. And it's like, well, what if, what if Kratos, but in this like Norse open world instead. And I think those are maybe tough to do and they they don't always land and they they have the very much the potential of being like disappointing because it's like oh I wish it was just like the previous game like I love that game I don't like this one as much um it doesn't tick all the boxes it ticks for me in the first one but I think it's just a really interesting challenge and I think when it does work it ends up making some really creative and like innovative and and really unique games um, but there's definitely is an argument to being like, well, why didn't you just make that a new game and then have, you know, if, if Kratos is coming back, he's still coming back in like regular God of War style. So right, I, right, I don't right. think you can ever be perfect or please anybody, but I definitely think I that. Think, yeah. It's a case by case basis. I think. Yeah. Like what you're trying to, what's the studio trying to accomplish, right? And what, what mm-hmm. do the fans want essentially? Um, Kate, and, uh, this is usually the point of the show where we would go into a listener mail question and um, answer something that our listeners have sent in. And we do plan to get back to that. But just for today's show, we decided uh, we would change it up and we'd put a message out on Twitter and just see if any of our listener base, you know, anyone had any responses about sequels or some of their favorites. And so we did get a response. And uh, if you want to read that for our lovely listeners here. Yeah, so our, our good friend over at Loud Thumbs Podcast, uh, Nick, he responded. And I think he has he actually hit the nail on the head with this one. This is probably one of the best examples of a sequel ever made. I totally agree with him. And he suggested that Assassin's Creed 2 could be the best sequel uh, in comparison to the original. He said it improved on nearly all bases, controls, story, design, looks, and importantly, they finally added swimming, <laughs> which I I think finally. that's great. I think that we didn't talk about Assassin's Creed, but I've, I've played the first like three or four games. And I remember thinking how cool the first game was when it came out and looking back on it now, like it's definitely a bit limited, but I totally agree too. just like took that concept and ran with it. And like, yeah, why can't an amazing assassin swim? Like probably something he should know how to do. <laughs> you can jump across rooftops. You can climb like the leaning tower of Pisa with only your hands. Like you can, you can swim. Exactly. Jesus. A perfect physical specimen. Uh, maybe, maybe learn how to swim. Yeah, that's a good example of a sequel, though. I I agree. Yeah. Like, I mean, playing Assassin's Creed back in the day, I remember the original getting it on the 360 when it released, and it was like that was a mind blowing game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when it came out, you're like, holy shit! Like, this looks so real. Like, run. I remember running around those villages and like, yep. you know, stabbing people and then hiding in a hay bale and whatever. Like, that was a <laughs> yeah. great time. 
But I think like looking back on it now, and I think even looking back on Assassin's Creed 2 now, you'd say the same thing about that game. But even just playing 2 like at the time of release and comparing it to the first one was like mind-blowing how much more like you instantly felt like oh the first game was very limited after when you played the second one with the, you could do the upgrades and mm -hmm. there was um I, that was the one where you got to control like you got to build a town or something right as so. well or, yeah like, you, got to, you, you like yeah. well you like buy shops and now there's like a, a right, vendor yeah, yeah. over here now that there wasn't before and there was a little yeah. bit of that like a very like minor kind of town sim aspect right yeah but either way i, I just remember it like it felt like so expanded there was a lot more different um you had the different tools and stuff you could use too it's been a long time since i played yeah assassin's creed obviously you could tell <laughs> but yeah every every things. second mission wasn't just awkwardly tailing someone <laughs> and then beating them up in yeah, the alley right, when they were right. alone <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah um thanks for the shout out though nick that was a good good response and like we said before if anyone else has any sequels they would like to let us know about that they think is the best um, you of course could you could send that to our email circles and squares pod at gmail.com or our Twitter C at CNS pod. Um, but like we said at the top of the show, guys, if you really want to make it count, um, reply in the comments to the YouTube video and uh, subscribe to the channel. Send us a screenshot of those things for a chance to win our uh, one of our copies of Battlefield 2042. Or, of course, you can get that by leaving us an Apple podcast review. Also, um, like we said at the top, winners will be announced on Wednesday at 12 p.m. noon uh pst so again uh get those in and thank you all for listening we'll see you on the next show which will be uh on monday we got the next episode of the circles and squares news report so look forward to that um thanks for listening guys love you all see you soon